I'd rather work hard and be happy than, you know, to work hard and just like, oh, I have a check and security in that. That's not really what I perceive is what life is about. That's the voice of Mike Jones Jr., owner of Mike Jones Made It. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, what do you know about Shaper Tools? Specifically, the Shaper Origin. As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes. And now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Mike Jones Jr., owner of the Atlanta, Georgia-based furniture company, Mike Jones Made It. Furniture making is for the most part centered in the world of creativity, but owning and successfully running a furniture company is very much rooted in the world of business. When you can navigate a way to blend those two worlds together, that is when you see the best results. Mike is doing just that, taking his past careers in business and his creative drive and using them both to build a furniture brand all his own. Follow along as we talk about why you should advertise differently on different social media platforms, the importance of organization, how to understand your value, and much more. What a great conversation Mike and I had, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's jump right in and hear about his journey in his own words. I'm originally from Louisiana. Um, I I, I grew up outside of Baton Rouge. I went to LSU. I went to college for a bachelor's in interdisciplinary studies and leadership in society. What at that time did I think I was going to do with that particular degree? I, I'm not even sure. I think I wanted to be a, uh, I wanted to uh, lobby. And right out of college, I moved to DC and worked in affordable housing um, policy. And that led to another thing. And I just uh, ended up in a career doing tax exempt bond finance. So working with um, different accounting firms and stuff like that. Just kind of, if you know anybody that, that deals in like the finance or, or like accounting firm or consulting firm world, it's like a, um, a high strung environment. And I did that for several years. Let's see, about in 2019, I just started a new job here in Atlanta with one of their development agencies. And on the side, I would do kind of just some build furniture pieces that I needed slash wanted that, you know, I couldn't afford the exact thing that I wanted from the store. So something in me told me I could uh, do it. But I think that when people ask, how did I learn how to build furniture? I kind of start way further back, I guess would say 
for my parents um, growing up, they owned uh, their own businesses and and properties and things like that. And my dad did a lot of the renovations and stuff himself. So I was always around him and always had to help. But at that time, it was just like you're a kid and you don't want to you don't want to help. You don't want to hold this and <laughs> all that. It just seemed boring when you're a kid. Um, but little did I know those skills kind of came back and it helped me out a lot. And I found a lot of enjoyment um, from just building stuff for myself. And that snowballed into me just opening up my, my business and doing just stuff on the side. Um, I still had my, my day job. But I kind of really just got burnt out on it. And right around the time COVID hit, I um, I decided to go ahead and jump into it full time with the support of my wife. And at that time, my fiance, um, she kind of just told me, you know, if there's a time to do it, you know, now would be. So that's kind of how I got into it. And it's been a quite a journey since then into, you know, actually doing it full time and sustaining myself and everything. So it's kind of a long backstory, I guess. Well, that journey and that backstory is what got you to where you are today. And it's it's always funny thinking about the things you learn as a kid that are just throwaway at the time and you think, oh, I'll never use this. And then yeah. they pop back up as an adult and you say, I didn't I didn't even remember that I knew how to do this. And now I I do. And for you, that was building furniture because your college career and your professional career up to the point of you deciding to build furniture was pretty much as far removed from having a furniture company as you could be. But once you decided to start building things, I'm sure it all it all came back to you. And what came back to you was, yes, the building skills that you learned from your parents, but also that idea of having your own business must have been something that you remember and then you thought i can do this i i know people who did this i have family who did this and this is something that i could do that idea of going out on your own and starting your business how did you come to that how did you make that decision to leave your job and go into a world that is completely different you said a lot of good stuff there <laughs> it's so much to say i i I think um, growing up, I would I would say I would felt as though, you know, the college route and, you know, the corporate route was a more I definitely think it, it's the safe route. And like seeing my parents own their own business, what made me kind of hesitant about it was just growing up around it and knowing that, you know, that's a seven day a day a week job. So I just re always remember like my my mom owned several daycares. So I just remember like growing up, waking up at 4 a.m. to get there at five. And my mom was like preparing everything for when people drop off their kids at 6 a.m. So I just like, I remember just the the constant work. I even remember like on Sundays after church and stuff, we'd go to Sam's and like load it up with milk and pack it in a, a car and drop them off at several locations and stuff. So it was just like so much work aside from you know the actual business of taking care of children or, or whatever um, business you're involved in so that's something I understood from a young age and um, that's something I definitely thought about before 
jumping into it myself. But even prior to that, I worked for different um, consulting companies and stuff. So I kind of had that independent view of um, of just like contract work, essentially. So um, I knew a lot of people who had like their own consulting companies as well, um, just like in finance. And I kind of took some of that mindset with me in my, my current business. Like, I know you said that, you know, I came from a completely different world in furniture business, but I think every industry has relatable information, regardless, even if you're working at an accounting firm. So just even for example, like some people like me, it like the numbers and, and, you know, calculating the amount of, of, of board feet that they're, they're going to use for a project and just, you know, hammering down on efficiency. That's something that's, you know, can transfer across different industries and stuff. So um, definitely uh, learned a lot from everything throughout my career, not just from helping my parents out, but they just taught me so much about not just the skills, I mean, just the business uh, and the work that's involved. And that kind of went into my decision. And when I decided to leave uh, my full-time job, it was because at that point in time, I felt like I was doing the same amount of work, you know, working, you know, more than an eight-hour day, more than a 12-hour day sometimes to get things done. So I, I felt at that time, you know, I was working so hard, uh, kind of equivalent to a person that was running their own business. And I had, you know, my own furniture stuff on the side that I would do after I, you know, finish a 12-hour day. So I just wasn't happy and I was still working hard. So I'd rather work hard and be happy than, you know, to work hard and just like, oh, I have a check and security in that. That's not really what I perceive is what life is about. You are so right saying that you can take knowledge from any industry that you're in and apply it to your furniture business. That is completely, completely true. And I love talking to furniture company owners that come from completely different backgrounds because they take that view and then they apply it to their company and they see the whole furniture industry in a completely different way than say somebody who just started in furniture and stayed in furniture. So hearing all those different backgrounds and hearing people coming to the furniture world from different ways is always an eye-opening experience. And when you did it, when you made that transition into being a full-time furniture maker, what did you take from your other jobs, from your other careers? Because you were a very numbers-oriented person. You are a very detail-oriented person. And usually, furniture makers are more in the creative field. So they start a business as a creative endeavor. But I have to imagine you started your business really knowing the numbers and making sure it all made sense on that end, even maybe before you jumped into does it make sense on the creative end for you? Yeah. Um, I say the the thing that kind of crossed over the most was just keeping track of things, just even pricing. And that's just, I guess the type of consulting work I, I did, it was always, you know, tracking the budget and making sure like everything was within a budget. So that's something that always was transferable, I guess, to, to my woodworking business. However, I don't I don't want to give people the impression that 
as far as like coming up with things like pricing and 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 stuff like that, I was like the best because there's always stuff you learn. There's a ton of stuff I learned. I'm still learning about that. But if you don't keep track of, of you know, where your costs are, you know, you can really be dumping a lot of, a lot of, you know, wasted revenue. And it's, that's really important when you're, you know, self-employed is you, you want to maximize everything. You want to make sure your time is tracked as well. So even with consulting uh, work, um, keeping track of my time for wh whoever I was working on a project for, you know, because they're billable hours when you work at a consulting firm. So keeping track of your idle time and keeping track of the time you're in the shop and keeping track of the time that you're actually working on your business, like doing stuff on the computer or keeping track of the time you're doing stuff like marketing or all those different aspects are, I guess, transferable. Um, keeping track of your time because you have to be efficient. You have to keep uh, track of your own time. There's no boss uh, making sure you've gotten X, Y, and Z done. So like I have calendars and whiteboards all over my shop and, and spreadsheets. So we're just keeping track of stuff because a lot of people think, you know, hey, it's easy to juggle four projects at the same time and not have a schedule and I'll just get to it when I get to it. That can really come back to bite you. The idea of billable hours for your own business is something that people forget about. They think if they're working for themselves that they don't need to account for all the hours that are in the day because even if they have employees they're still the boss it's their company and the reason they have their own company is so they don't have to be accountable to anyone but keeping track of those hours like you said and like we all know is so incredibly important to running a successful and sustainable business. I do want to get into pricing and we'll jump into that next. But first, I want to ask you, how do you actually keep track of your hours? You said whiteboards, you said Excel sheets, but for people who are listening who say, I'd love to keep track of my hours, but I just don't know where to start. How do you actually do it on a daily basis? What is your process of keeping track of your hours? Uh, mainly, I would say uh, planners. So I have a Moleskine and I have a whiteboard. So I have my whiteboard is every quarter. So four months are already on on my 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 whiteboard in, in my shop. So whenever I get a, a order, I know that it's going to take, you know, a day to go pick up and select the wood. It's going to take X amount of hours, uh, at least an hour of design. It's going to take at least a day to two days of, of milling. So I already generally know how much time tasks specifically take. And by knowing that knowledge, I can, you know, plan. And that's where the keeping track in your, your you know, your, your journal or your moleskin or your, your whiteboard goes. So once you already know uh, the amount of time specific tasks take, just go about dividing those tasks per day. And people are a little overzealous in what they think they can accomplish sometimes. And I, I'm, I'm a, I always fall for that. Um, but it's good to at least, I, I always say at least to be able to do two separate tasks in the shop. Um, per day, even if you can't get through one complete, I always feel like I accomplish and, and I'm keeping a project moving forward. If I'm able to work on at least two separate tasks at the same time, 
moving forward. But there's also like, there's a ton of different productivity timers that you can use on your phone and you can set the widget on your phone and it can you can start and stop it just like a timer. And that will really help you get an idea of how long it's really taking you versus how long you think it's going to take you. That's always good to start off with some type of like digital timer just so you can figure out just the time a typical task takes you. So I think writing stuff down and just knowing the time that specific tasks uh, take and just being able to estimate that type of stuff as far as tasks when you get a new order or, or a different piece, no matter what it is, just really comes with time. Just being able to know how long it's going to take you to build a drawer. Like for me, myself, I know that, you know, how no matter how small a project is, it's going to take a week of my time of either, you know, purchasing the materials, milling it, uh, building it, uh, sanding and finishing it and getting it ready to go out the door. I don't even if it's, you know, something small. So um, that's something I use to calculate as far as pricing as well, just knowing how long it's going to take minimum on anything so that helps out a lot that's how i do most of my tracking and then you know you can put all that stuff into excel spreadsheets and stuff to estimate pricing um, as far as hours but um just circling back to just importance of tracking your time i think in order to have a business that's successful especially if you're self-employed a business that's growing you can't just whatever the profit that's what you pay yourself you have to kind of have your salary set aside and that's where you have to track the amount of hours you you know you put into certain projects you know your time is valuable that's something we we establish there's all types of methods and there's all types of tools to help you but really important like i said to circle back is just to make sure you can track the time on tasks that it takes no matter what software you use and also to be able to uh, plan that out no matter if you use a Excel spreadsheet to make a, a calendar, no matter if you use a written notebook or journal or if you use whiteboards. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a bunch of rambling. It's not a bunch of rambling. It's the exact way you keep track of your time. And that's an important thing and something that can't be overstated enough how important it is to keep track of your time. And you said people always overestimate what they think they can get done. I think everybody starts the day thinking this is what I'm going to get done. And at the end of the day, if you look at that, you probably didn't get that done. And and that can be frustrating, but it could also be a learning experience. And if you are doing it in a vacuum and wondering where your time went every single day, then you're not going to be efficient. But if you do keep track of your time, if you do keep track of what you're doing, then you can see exactly where the issues are and you can fix it. And that's the only way to fix it. You can't fix it in a vacuum. You can't fix it without the facts. You need the facts. You need the numbers. You need the time. And that's the only way you can run your business better. Right. I agree. I agree. You definitely, you know, just like an athlete, you have to track your performance and track, you know, What's your personal record or whatever? Definitely, I'm a firm believer in it. Let's jump to another frustrating thing, <laughs> pricing. And you talked a little bit about how you get the idea of pricing because you know timing and you know how long things are going to take. But 
let's get into how you actually price out your stuff. How are you right now pricing your work and how has that changed from when you started? Yes. Yeah, so I'm sorry I left. Um, how has it changed? I mean, it's changed dramatically. I have to give credit to um, to other business owners and woodworkers who have you know, shared their knowledge with me specifically. I, I had another another um, friend or colleague or fellow woodworker, Derek Van Fleet here in Atlanta, who kind of definitely gave me all types of tips and tools. And we both like to track like the price of a lumber, like we're stock market people. <laughs> people always, I know you get it a lot. They always ask, well, how do you, how much do you charge for X? And it really just depends on your market your client and if it costs for example um in new york in manhattan or or whatever um, it's going to cost way more there for a person to survive the cost of living just an apartment or or just food in general things like that versus you know someone who lives in i don't know um, (laughs) in new mexico or atlanta or texas or any other place it's just differences or, or california versus east coast versus the west coast is just different in pricing for everything, every commodity or good, just like gasoline is priced differently. So when it comes to like setting your hourly rate, it's just best to know what it's going to take or what, what it's going to cost you annually to survive. And that's what goes into that particular part as far as knowing what, what hourly rate you should charge for yourself. And, you know, the rest are kind of like industry standards um, as far as, you know, margin, uh, most people, a great margin would be 28%. And and um, it allows you to be able to, to realize profit and invest that back into the business versus, you know, just, you know, surviving. It evolves as your work evolves and as your clientele evolves. Not the stuff I was making when I first started, It I didn't spend the amount of time and, 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 and I guess, design and all the stuff that I put into it as I do now. So that stuff increases not only your time, but what you can charge your time. And, you know, stuff changes just like when I first started doing this on the side, I didn't have a wife and a a newborn son. So that also factors into, you know, your cost of living and what it takes for you to survive as well. So the factors of just like your family, your location, those are huge, you know, impacts. So there's no one um, size fits all. There's sometimes when I put in numbers, it just doesn't work. You know, if you put it in, it's going to be a $25,000 project and you just know this person doesn't have the budget to do that. Maybe you can tinker with this and and use the materials. But that's another good tool to use as far as like being able to know, oh, wait, okay, I can, you know, afford to do if I decrease the number of drawers by this amount, I'm going to use less lumber. So that's going to decrease this. And then this materials, as far as a slash, you can, you can play with that stuff as far as like tailoring some stuff for, for clients. The only thing I really don't compromise is just that billable hour, my hourly weight. Cause I, you know, that doesn't change as far as what I know I need to make as far as to, it's just a salary from a particular project, not even considering the profit from it. But all those things are totally different from when I first started. When I first started, when I was doing it on the side, it was pretty much me doing stuff for material cost or, or whatever like that. I, I wasn't even charging. Like if I bought a two, or if I bought a, a 10 foot board and only used five feet of it back then, I was only charging for five feet of that board. <laughs> um, 
And then it just kind of just gradually came to me uh, tracking more and, you know, add, adding in the margin and just like be more detailed because stuff adds up. You may say, okay, um, no, I don't use a can of finish for every single pro project, but maybe I use a fifth of it. So it's good to know what if a fifth of a, a can of Rubio or whatever finish you use costs because you can add that into, you know, your consumables and materials and always keep you can re resupply your your shop without dipping into your personal salary or re, without dipping into other funds. So it, it's helpful business wise to just monitor all those things. This this is just stuff I've learned, and I'm still learning as far as you know pricing goes. Um, another skill I think with pricing is just knowing your clientele and being. Um, completely transparent and, and upfront about cost for items. So just know, you know, if you're not, if you, if you're, if you're making cutting boards and stuff, you're, it's not the same clientele that's going to buy a dining room table all the time. So just know your, your clientele as well. That can really help with your pricing. What you said about knowing your client and the type of client that you're selling to is very, very important for running your business, for your pricing, for the way you market pretty much every single part of your business. Knowing your client is the key to running your business well, and that can either be knowing them locally or globally, depending on or depending on who you are selling to. So how have you learned to understand your clients and how have you been reaching out to clients to get work, to continue to push your business forward? Well, I knowing your client, how can I put it? So something like this, as far as pricing for a client that's local versus uh, pricing for a client that reaches out to me via the web or, or via like a platform like Etsy or, or Facebook Marketplace or something like that. How much I charge for a table that's that's going to, that has to be delivered and is being sold on Etsy where a percentage of my sale is being taken and X, Y, and Z for the listing is being taken. In order to, to, to make it feasible, I, I can't charge the same what I would charge uh, for someone who's like here local that's within like a five mile radius. I don't have to pay for shipping or, or worry about uh, the packaging or handling of it. Uh, it's just so there are many different things like that that aren't going to be necessary. And the type of client that's reaching out to you, if you do custom work, which most of mine is custom, I have certain things that are, are kind of my standard pieces but a lot of my work is custom. So when you have custom clientele, those are people who are reaching out to you because they can't find what they need. It's not necessarily that their budget is what's limiting them, it's what's available that's limiting them. And that's a factor you have to know when you come up with your pricing model. Um, when a person comes to you for custom work, they, they usually is not the first person you, or you're not the first person they reach out to. So that's something to keep in mind. And if it's nothing that they can't find in, you know, an Ikea or restoration hardware or uh, any of those other, you know, big uh, brand furniture companies, it's something that, you know, you have to charge for your expertise and um, 
just the the knowledge and the, it just doesn't if it doesn't exist it's going to cost more than something that's produced on a or just manufactured on a large scale um so the type of person that goes to shops with ikea not looking down on them they're not necessarily the same person that's going to reach out to you for a custom piece of work so um and the pricing is not going to be the same as you know an ikea and it's a decision you have to make yourself you know if you want uh, that particular clientele there's nothing wrong with it i have ikea furniture believe it or not i guess it's not necessarily negative because there's a clientele for everything there's something that cheaper price maybe or if your clientele doesn't um have that specific luxury custom work budget, it's probably going to be something that, you know, you have to focus on producing or manufacturing on a mass scale or, but that's, that helps. That's kind of how you have to know your client. And, and I'm not also saying that, you know, just cause you have a client that means you have to gouge them or anything. Um, even on my website, I have, uh, if you submit an inquiry, I like, I do answer DMs and stuff via uh, Instagram and other social media, but I prefer people submit inquiries through my website because it allows you to select a specific budget um, that that you're anticipating. So stuff like that just gives you a, a general idea of what your client's budget and what they have in mind. Because if they you know reach out to you about getting a custom made uh, desk for three hundred dollars, and you know you know, in the back of your mind, that it's going to take you more in materials alone to uh, build that desk. Um, that, that's something you can just kind of let them know from the get-go. So that's a part of getting to know your client, just collecting information and, you know, building a relationship and speaking to them. Um, I don't even like to do as many, just like if we, if you reach out to me on Etsy, I usually try to do a call where I can just kind of talk to you to figure out what you want because, uh, I'm just having a conversation with people. You can get an idea of what type of client they are. If they're really going to be nitpicky, if they're going to be, you know, asking for a specific updates throughout the project, or if they really don't care, or if they're just going for a certain look and they they're giving you creative freedom. So it it goes beyond just helping out with pricing, but it helps out with you uh, delivering a product to them that you know they're satisfied. So knowing what their priorities are when they reach out to you is good so are they just trying to go for a look or if they really specific they want walnut they want it this specific dimensions uh and so on there's so many different ways to get different clients and i i acknowledge all of them i think they're all great because you can only build clients by trying to reach out and you know you can have the best table or build the best things in the world but if nobody knows that you do that type of work that's really not helpful so that's something that you know comes with stuff like social media i do use a lot of social media um to get my products out there and just get my work out there as well as partnering others uh doing stuff like this like podcasts i've also done you know local magazines i've done local festivals and fairs as well as you know some i've done ads as well and etsy and every other platform you can imagine so it's just good to get out in all of those uh different platforms in order to gain clients even like facebook and instagram now even has like a shop give your clients as many avenues to reach out to you as possible or to see your work as possible that that's your portfolio essentially that's what social media does it gives you a way to 
have a very public portfolio out there. And um, another thing is just there's so many tools to identify your 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 clientele or your market from you know Google Analytics, and there's a lot of free tools which are you know people don't utilize even the uh, the tools the creator tools and stuff on like Instagram and different social media will even allow you to pinpoint you know what demographic what age group or what percentage of your followers are male or female or the type of interactions you have so that's all important information you just can't like overlook when you're trying to get new clients or get your name out there and when you're just trying to understand what people are looking for and just keeping track of stuff even something as simple like I know I have a specific table that sells really well with recent retirees. <laughs> so, I mean, it's odd, but that's something I noticed. And, you know, there's something that you can, you know, what platforms those individuals are going to be on. So if I know that recent retirees are buying a certain table a lot, I'm not really going to worry about marketing that on, on Instagram as much as, you know, other platforms that those people might be on more. So, if you're, you know, your grandma usually isn't on on instagram shopping as much as they might be on another platform like facebook or etsy so that's all great insight and we could go down any number of those paths but i really want to pull out the idea of expectations of pricing which is something that you talked about and for custom furniture furniture makers can sometimes forget that that they're the ones who are setting the price because a client can reach out and they're not a furniture maker they don't know the first thing about building furniture or pricing furniture they just see pricing from different box stores or different people online and they reach out with a price in mind and the furniture maker has to remember that Sometimes they need to hold their own. That price is only somebody reaching out and saying, can you do this? Yes, you want the business, but you can't always bend to the will of just a number in an email. You need to set the expectation of your pricing based on your quality, what you're bringing to the table, your experience, and why your work is different than that price. So the expectation of pricing is something that you very much need to set right at the beginning of any client interaction. And not saying that it's going to go smooth after that, but that's one way to really make sure everybody's on the same page at the start. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it saves you it saves you money in the long run, and it saves you a tremendous amount of time and, and headaches. Um I used to feel bad about, you know, telling a client I couldn't do something for a certain price. I mean, I would I would probably negotiate more than they would be willing to when I initially started out. But there's no way to make a business profitable um, doing doing that. You know what you're worth and you have to know your worth um, in order to, to, to do that. And it, it comes with experience because I've, I've heard plenty of people say that you'll, you'll never charge enough. <laughs> um like halfway through a project when you like dumped the extra 40 hours into something that was only supposed to take uh, 40 hours, that's when you, you realize this little small end table isn't going to be profitable charging $200 for it. So you have to just know your worth off the back and be very uh, upfront about pricing and cost 
from the get go. Like a lot of people are going to reach out to you and say, hey, can you make X, Y, and Z? And they give you dimensions, some colors, pictures from the get go. I'd rather them reach out to me. Hey, I want X, Y, and Z. This is my budget. I can make anything, but, you know, are you willing to pay what I require for me to make something? So that's something you have to be very clear about from the front. And I had to really charge for more than just my time I spent building on, on a certain certain thing. Um, this also factors in the pricing and a little bit, but just the services you you offer. So for me, I do a um, a consultation fee, a design consultation fee. I'm not the first person to come up with it, but that fee helps because sure, every woodworker or furniture maker has has spent um, time working on a an estimate or a design for a client, and you spend a day or however much time you spend on it, and they decide, hey, eh, I don't want to go with it, or oh, the estimate's too much, I'll pass, but you can't really recoup the time you spent on that. So you have to value your time and charge for your time and expertise and stand your ground and, you know, know your worth, be clear about that upfront. And the sooner you learn that the it's it's a lot of pain. And I know it's hard for people to turn down money. It's like, Oh, any job you can do any job, but not all jobs are worth it. And your happiness also has to factor in as well. I hear everything you're saying, and it's the truth. Knowing your worth and not backing down and understanding, yes, that there is wiggle room in pricing or negotiations and not everything's set in stone, but there are non-negotiables that you need to know and you need to have in the back of your mind and you need to stand your ground when those lines are passed. So yes, what you're saying is the truth and everybody should listen to that and rewind it and listen to it again because <laughs> it is it is exactly what a lot of people need to hear yeah yeah I, I will say like the sooner you start standing your ground on things yeah that's gonna you might have a dry spell or something like that but it will also start making you more profitable because you're you're gonna get the jobs you're if you if you do price and keep track of your time you're gonna get jobs that are you know enough or you won't feel that you didn't charge enough after um, after you, you've completed something. I um, I think that's kind of just the worst feeling if you you know you've been up you know twelve hour days and stuff like that, and then on the back end you're only making enough to cover what what you what you put into the project. So the, the quicker you that, the less pain you'll feel in the future, and the better for your business it'll be. The more you can invest into growing it, and you know buying new equipment and stuff like that but if you don't you don't stand your ground on those things i mean that that's i guess that's the difference between making it a hobby and an actual business seriously i like to be as truthful as possible on this show and when i'm talking to people is yes standing your ground if you are successful and you continue to be successful doing that and your business is going to prosper but There's that other side of it where you can stand your ground on your pricing and you go out of business. And that's a fact of business. That's not Mm -hmm. it's not all a fairy tale. I'm not sitting here. You're not sitting here saying if you stick to your pricing from the beginning that you're going to 
have a business forever. It's not the truth. Some people go out of business doing that, but it's better to go out of business in my mind. And in my mind, it's better to go out of business understanding your worth and fighting for your worth than to maintain a business that's not successful, that's not going anywhere, that you're just digging through mud and just barely holding on because maybe that's not the right business for you. And maybe you need to start something new or go work for somebody else, go work for a different furniture company and then come back to it with more experience. Or maybe you stay working for yourself, but you learn that what you're doing and the way you're doing it is not correct, is not correct for your market and pivot, do something else and learn from that. But understanding what you're worth is, is the only way to understand that yeah and and i'm definitely not saying you know you you can't you can't negotiate um because you can definitely go out of business like that way but um it's nothing in business is set in stone and if you think you know everything in business or if if you think your pricing or your market is set you're gonna lose out on on so much and you're gonna cause yourself to fail you have to know that you know, if you've had something for sale for six months and nobody has even reached out to you and tried to negotiate with you, you might need to de- decrease uh, your price. But the same thing goes. I've had, you know, tables on like a platform like Etsy that are really, really, I well, I didn't know at that time, but were really cheap because I was getting, you know, six or eight orders in a month. So it might mean you need to increase your price. So it, it goes both ways. But in order to be a successful business owner, you have to pay attention enough to know and track the pricing and the statistics and performance in order to know and be able to pivot so your business doesn't die. So you have to always constantly be keeping an eye on, on you know, performance. It's just you don't if you don't have a boss to do a performance review, you have to do it on yourself to survive. Yeah, I didn't want to I didn't want to go down a tangent with that oh, and, no, no, no. and get into uh, the sad part of the business because we all want to be positive. We all want to be uplifting. We all want to say, if you put your mind to it, you can do it. But the truth yeah. of the business is that sometimes it just doesn't work out, but it's better to know why it's not working out and to be able to fix that than to you know, just hit your head against the wall. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's really important, especially like if you have a family, you have to kind of worry about what what is the impact on them and you know what is it worth and is this worth going forward and stuff you have to really evaluate those things um especially with pricing and and going for something like this because there's there's a million you can make money any type of way um i think you know people don't even have to lift a finger there's all types of stuff you can do to survive but what are you willing to sacrifice in order to to you know get what you want and whatnot and is it worth it so definitely all things to consider and, and it's not all rosy i mean business in general is if you if you i think if you own a business for any amount of time you can you really you see the you see the the personality it teaches you about people it teaches you about relationships it teaches you about honesty it teaches you about communication it teaches you about 
all types of uh, different facets. So um, it's not always pretty and all those lessons aren't always rosy. There's a lot of tough lessons and there's a, a lot of struggles. Even me, like people think when they ask me, it's weird to have people ask me for advice and pricing stuff because I don't even consider myself successful at, at the point where I want to be. Um, and I still go through struggles. I still, you know, go through client issues and whatnot. Every every order, there's always something new to learn from it and different problems to overcome. But, you know, whether you're, you know, persistent and consistent enough to overcome those things, that really makes a difference. Well, you're being a little humble because you you are successful and people are asking you for advice because they see you doing things well and in your own way and that way works for you it might not always work for everybody but that way works for you and that's why people are reaching out I hear what you're saying about how you feel like you're still learning you're still figuring it out and the truth is that everybody's still learning and figuring it out nobody has such an idea of their business that it's set in stone and they won't change if they learn a better way to do things so yes yeah. you are learning but just by talking with you and just by listening to how you think about your business i hear that you know what you're talking about you have thought a lot about this and you know how to run your own business in the way that you think is best and that yeah. is all that matters. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I I have to humble myself. I don't it just um I'm not where I want to be. And just like you say, uh you 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 have to be dedicated to being a lifelong learner, no matter the industry, no matter the business, no matter what you do, because when you stop learning, that's when you fall behind, that's when you miss opportunities. And yeah, just just always be open to learn. Always be open to learn. For people who want to learn from you, for people who are starting their own business and they're trying to learn from as many places as they can, and they're trying to start a business just like you did. And then there's people out there who have businesses and they have been doing this for a while, but they also want to learn. They are happy to hear how other people run their business. What's some advice that you could share with people out there who are listening about how you've run your business successfully and what you think should be shared with people listening? Oh, well, I guess the only two things I really would say are because I get a lot of questions kind of in this direction. You don't need every tool and every piece of equipment. Yes, it can improve the quality but when you're you're talking about just getting started no you don't need every tool i mean there's even people who who like rent out time and let you borrow tools and whatnot so that's the biggest thing people think they need to have something before they can even get started and i guess the next thing would be there's so many facets of running a business there's when you have your own business, there's no HR, there's no, um, you know, accounting department and all those different departments. You are every one of those departments. So it can seem overwhelming at times to try to, to, you know, become a master at each one of those things. But just from my own experience, you know, if you consistently kind of try to work on, on each area, and I mean, I'm 
bad for not being consistent on each area, but if you always focus on trying to improve on all those areas and show a little attention to each, you'll definitely see results in growth in your business. And no matter at what stage you're in, but just always kind of focus on that and just not always focus on how cool a piece is or the next tool you need or all this stuff. It's really just important. You don't need everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to ramble anymore, but that's all. You're not rambling at all. The stuff you're saying is incredibly helpful. And I really do appreciate you sharing it and sharing your knowledge and how you go about running your business with everybody listening. So thank you. I truly appreciate you sharing your story with us. And I wish you nothing but success moving forward. No, no problem. No problem. And I'm really thankful. Um, Thanks for the exposure and just being a mentor as well. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.